but I tell you what, I just want to, this is the last time I'm going to bring this up for a while, I promise. Uh, we did a series that, that uh, we just finished called, uh, what was it called? Everything will change. It was really meaningful. I mean, just powerful for me. <laughs> In all seriousness, uh, I just had a blast with that series. And uh, we basically just explored the implications of resurrection starting on Easter and really walked that through for a couple weeks. And it was such a joy for me. Uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed that as well. And we're actually not going too far from where we, where we landed last week in Philippians. So if you have your Bibles, why don't you go ahead and turn there. We're going to start in Philippians 3 in just a minute. But before we get there, does anybody know it's fishing opener this weekend? Fishing opener? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm a fisherman, and uh, a lot of people know this about me. I've got a boat and way too many rods. My, my wife says, way, way too many rods. Um, and so, you know, I've come to church and, and been around uh, in public places, and people are like, oh, hey, did you go fishing for the opener? And here's my deal. It's like... I fish a lot during the year, so the question for me is why would I want to go out with all of the people who never launch their boat during the year and who never fish during the year and have no idea what they're doing out there? It's just craziness mayhem on an opener. So the answer to your question, if you're wondering, is no, I did not go fishing on opener, but I probably will go sometime shortly after opener. But the whole hype about the, the opener in Minnesota and the walleyes and all that kind of stuff, it's got me thinking a little bit about fishing. And uh, I wanted to just share a, uh, one particular story with you as we begin. Um, you guys know that the Minnesota State Fish is the walleye, yes? Okay. So Malax is one of the biggest lakes in Minnesota, and it holds a massive amount of walleye. And one of my favorite things to do, and this is something I stumbled upon not too long ago, but did you know, this is a little biology lesson for you, did you know that in the fall... The fish that the walleyes eat, they're called bait fish, okay? They spawn in the fall, which means that they're all in very predictable locations in the fall, which means that if you're a walleye, what do you do? You follow them, right? You go there. So as the fisherman who fishes for the walleye, I found out that you can basically, uh, it's bonkers, this is, this is craziness, but it's actually true. You can troll, uh, which basically means you just put the, the boat in gear and put a, a, a bait out there that looks like a minnow and you just drive. That's called trolling. It's really high tech. And you can do this at night in the fall on Mille Lacs. So basically you launch the boat at about 5, 6 o'clock when the sun's going down and you start fishing when it gets totally pitch dark because walleyes feed at night. So they go up into the shallows and they feed on all these bait fish and the fishermen like you, well like me, um, we, we intercept them and it's a blast. It's a ton of fun. One of my favorite ways to fish for walleyes. But the problem is it is pitch black. It is like you cannot see the hand in front of your face unless there's the moon out. Uh, but it is really, really dark. And so for the first couple of times that I did this, I didn't have GPS. Which means that if you're going to go out in the middle of the night on a lake as big as Mille Lacs, you really ought to stay pretty close to the landing that you launched your boat at. Because if you go too far, c'est la vie, you know? It's like sayonara. Nobody knows where you've gone and you don't know where you are. So I, for for... For safety reasons, of course, I invested in a piece of equipment called a, a color GPS, which doubles as a depth finder and a GPS. I mean, for safety reasons, I needed to be safe while I was out there. <laughs> so once I finally got my GPS, it was, it was like Katie barred the door. Like the whole lake is open to you because these things track where you go. And it shows on the little screen. It shows you where you've been, where you launched the boat and all that kind of stuff. And so it opened up all kinds of new possibilities for me. And so when I finally got my GPS, you'd, 
you basically, like, if you're fishing in one spot and you want to go to another, you locate it on the GPS, and then you say, okay, like, let's do it. You put the boat up on plane, and you just start driving. Full tilt, full throttle, middle of the night, pitch black on a lake. Sounds like fun, doesn't it? Now, you want to be careful when you're out there because there's rock piles and there's, you know, things that could kill you. And, uh, and so you want to, every now and again, it's a very good idea for you as a fisherman to take the boat off a plane to slow everything down so that the screen isn't rattling while you're driving and you can't see it very well, but to take the boat off plane and to just stop and get your bearings. To say, where am I? Where am I going? What's important for me to get there? And what's it going to take for me to navigate from here to there? Really, really important to do. And so for this series, as we look at Awaken, where we go from here, that's kind of what we want to do. I want to take the boat off plane, if you will, if you'll just, uh, you know, uh, what's the word, uh, you know, uh, well, um, it's sort of like you guys are just going to go there with me. What's that called? You can just bear with me. Just bear with the, anal- the fishing analogy. Okay, we're going to take the boat off plane and we're just going to sort of like look around, get our bearings, figure out what is important and how we get there and all that kind of stuff. Because I think as a church, that's a really important thing to do. So if you turn to Philippians chapter three, this is Paul in his letter to the Philippians, and he writes a lot of stuff in his letters, you know, in this one and in others, but he gets to this section in chapter 3, and it's essentially like Paul says, okay, let me just break it down for you. I've said all this stuff, but here's what's really, really, really important. And he says this in Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 10. He says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul, in his address to the Philippians, gets down to that which is most important, and his answer is to know Christ. I want to participate in his suffering so that, in order that, uh, the, the point being, so that we participate in his resurrection. And tonight as we begin this series, I want to start with this idea. I want to share... Uh, a part of my journey over the last year or so, and some things that God has been showing me along the way, as your guys' as pastor and leader, uh, ways in which God has awakened my soul, uh, ways in which God has grabbed me and just stopped me dead in my tracks. And I want to I sort of frame it with three thoughts, uh, story, investment, and transformation. So uh, it, it starts with a story. Um, same Lake Malax last fall in October, I went on a solo retreat. Uh, has anybody ever done that before? Like, just go away by yourself, nobody else. It's quite daunting. And the first time I did it, I actually came back early because I was so scared of the silence. Um, but it's a great exercise. And so I did this, and I took a book with me on that trip. And it's a book uh, by Donald Miller, and it's entitled A Million Miles in a Thousand Years. And in this story, in this book, uh, the author basically investigates or, or kind of Uh, presses into the literary elements of a good story. So he talks about what is, what makes a great story? You know, you've got characters, you've got a plot, you've got, you know, conflict and resolution and turns and one thing that he calls an inciting incident. And, uh, as I read this book, uh, he basically takes this idea of what makes a great story and he applies it to life. So each one of us has one life to live. We have one story, so to speak. And, and, Maybe you know people uh, in your life who, whose stories are less than compelling, right? They're often uh, people who have unfulfilled dreams, people who have regrets, um, where it seems like 
for them, life more or less just happened. Uh, and, and they just were sort of a, a passive watcher and passerby. Uh, and then there's other people. Maybe you know somebody like this who their stories in their lives you would classify as, as epic. They are compelling. They are, they're passionate. They're full of adventure. Uh, these are the types of people who don't just let life happen, but they grab life by the scruff of the neck and they just live it with everything they've got. Maybe you know people like this. And for me, as I read this book, I, 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 I watched this guy wrestle with, here's my life. And here's what I want it to be. Here's the story that I'm living. And here's the story that I want to live. In comes what he calls an inciting incident. And an inciting incident in literary terms for a story is, is the point at which the character in the story has a decision to make. There is a doorway that they can open and walk through. There is an impasse. And, and whether or not the character takes that leap of faith makes all of the difference in the world. And so as I watch this guy wrestle with, here's the story of my life, and it's pretty boring, it's, it's not very compelling, but I want it to be one that's filled with adventure and faith and, and passion and zeal and where I grab life by the neck and I just live it with everything I've got. And I began to ask the question of myself, what kind of life am I living? Like, what is my story and of course, once you, you get married and you start having kids, you, you, you start wrestling with how do you want your kids to, to see the story that you're living as a parent? How will that be interpreted? And what are the kinds of things you want to model for them? And for me and for Laura, it was things like adventure and faith and living at a point where, where, where we have to depend on God. And if God doesn't show up, we're sunk. That kind of faith. And I want to be the kind of man, I want to be the kind of father, I want to be the kind of husband, pastor, friend, and brother who would be classified as, at the end of my life, when my brothers gather around my deathbed, what I long for, what I hope for, is that they say about Micah that he lived life, he took, he took risk. Uh, there are some people who have dreams about life, and then there are other people who actually take a step towards getting those dreams, and I want to be that kind of guy. That's the kind of story that I want my life to be. And what I learned from this book is that lives like this don't just happen. Um, they don't just happen upon people. You choose it. And when the impasse comes and when the door is there to be opened, you open it with faith and trembling and humility. And with God, you say, here we go. Uh, the, the character in the story uh, often reaches this, this impasse in this doorway, and they can either walk away or they can walk through it. And the ones who open the door and walk through it, their lives are never the same. Uh, they live themselves into the kind of story that they want their life to be. And so as I read this book on this, journey, uh, on this retreat, it, it, it made me stop and ask the, the kinds of questions that are really important but really, really scary at times. What, what kind of story do you want for your life, Micah? And what kind of story do you want for your, your community, uh, where you pastor? So it starts with story, and I would say it moves to investment. This is a fascinating book. Do you guys know this? I mean, there's all kinds of stuff in here, and it ranges from crazy to amazing to you know, hard to understand to dead simple. But one of my favorite stories in this book is from the Gospels, where Jesus... Uh, tells the story of the, the parable of the talents. It's in John chapter uh, 9. Oh, no, I'm sorry. That's not John 9. That's the next one. 
the parable of the talents, uh, I didn't actually write down. But it's in here, I promise you. And I'm, it's in Matthew. I think it's towards the end of Matthew. But here's what happens in the parable of the talents, okay? The master comes to these three servants. It's one of my favorite stories, and I don't even know where it is. What, what kind of, what is that? Thank you, Matthew 21:33. If you want to turn there, you can. I'll summarize it for you, but here's how it goes. So the ser- this master comes to these, these three servants, and basically he gives them each something of value that's of worth, some a talent or a gift of some sort. And then he goes away for a while, and when he comes back, uh, they have a, a varied response of what the people did with their talent and their gift. One guy basically buried it, like he protected it. He didn't want to lose it, and so he just buried it. And Jesus, or excuse me, the, the servant's response, or the master's response to that servant is, away from me, you wicked servant. And one invests it a little bit, and he gets a little bit of return on his, on his gift, and the, ser- the master says, you know, well done, you good and faithful servant. And one invests it to the nth degree. Like, he, he does everything that he can to take what he had been given and invest it in such a way that it makes a difference. And the, ser- the master says, well done, good and faithful servant. Way to go. Like, I gave you something of great worth, and now you've invested in it. So it starts with story, and it moves to investment for me. And in this last year, a couple of things that I've been learning. Investment. Here's the thing. I want my life to be the kind of story that's compelling, that's challenging, that's full of passion. But secondly, I want so badly for my life to count for something that is of worth. I want my life to count for something that in the end, when it's all said and done, matters for eternity. I want my life to be uh, pursuing something that's of worth and of value. And I want to take what I think God has given me and invest it the best that I possibly can so that there's return in his kingdom when he comes back. Thank you. And I hope that for you too. I want my energy and my passions to be spent, invested in such a call. So, story, I, 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 I want my life to be a, a story that's compelling and that's filled with faith and passion and adventure. And I want to be found investing what I've got for everything, uh, for the kingdom and its cause. And I would say, lastly, it, it ends with transformation. If you look at John chapter 9, this is where I was going to go before, but John chapter 9. I love this story. There's a guy who's blind, and he's been blind since, since birth. And Jesus finds this guy, and uh, verse 8 through 11, we'll just pick it up about halfway through the story. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit here and beg? And some claimed that it was. Others said, No, it only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am that man. And they asked him, how then were your eyes opened, they demanded. And he replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud. He put it in my eyes and he made me go to Siloam and wash. And so I went and washed and then I could see. So this is a church and I'm a pastor. And this is the Bible. And one of the crucial, most fundamental things about this whole thing is that I believe, and people like me in my position believe, and many of you believe, that Jesus, this guy who lived in an actual historical life, who died on a cross that looked much like that one thousands of years ago, that this guy and what he did on the cross had some divine 
impact on the world and on humanity and that this gospel, this good news of Jesus' death on the cross actually can change people's lives. And here's a guy who's blind from birth and Jesus shows up and he says, do you want to see? And he says, sure. So Jesus puts mud on his eyes. He tells him to go wash in a pool. And lo and behold, this guy's life was actually transformed. He was blind and then he could see. I believe with everything, with every fiber in my being, with every ounce of who I am, that this is true. I have hung my hat on this. This is my anchor. I'm going down on this ship. I believe that Jesus and the work that he did on the cross can actually change people's lives. I believe that. Now, what I want is I want to experience it. I want to see it. I want to see in this community and in, in, in around us, I would long for, I would love to see God transforming and changing people's lives. That's what I want. That's what I want my life to be about. When Paul says to the Philippians, here's what matters. I want to know Christ. I want to know the, I want to share in his suffering so that I can participate in his resurrection. For, for me, in the last year, a couple of things that God has been challenging me with. Story. I want my life to be compelling. I want it to be something that's filled with faith and adventure. I want to invest what I've got. And I want so badly to be a part of something where we actually see God change people's lives. And over this past year, God has been at work in my heart and inviting me through a door which I can never return. Uh, it is an invitation. It, is, it has become the inciting incident for my life and will force me and my family to be the kinds of characters in the story that we want to be. Um, God has taken me on a journey of discovery and has led me to the place where I stared what he has given me right in the face and been asked the question, how will you invest it? And through this journey, God has awakened in me a passion and a desire and a longing to really actually see people's lives changed by the gospel. I believe it in my head and I want to see it. And this journey has led us here to you, to this church, this community, and to this night. To people who we have grown to love and cherish. To share with you some really, really, really exciting and somewhat terrifying news that we feel like God is calling us to plant a church. And uh, I can't even explain to you how excited I am about this. Uh, how and over the next couple of weeks, as we wrestle through the implications of this and what this means for us as a community, uh, I'm going to share a little bit about the ways in which God has showed up and God has been a part of this. Uh, and so for, for the remainder of our time tonight, I want to just share with you uh, a bit of the journey uh, over the last year and the implications that this means for this community, because this is huge. Uh, and so if you would, just let me walk with you uh, and, and highlight some of the, the moments of this last year for us that have led us to here. About a, a year ago in April, Laura and I went to a, a, an assessment center, which is basically uh, for people who, are, who have thought maybe church planting is something that might fit them uh, or, or who have been invited by, by others who are involved to say, you know what, I think that you might, you might benefit from this. And so we went to Connecticut for a weekend and... Uh, went through a really intense process that was incredible, so affirming in so many ways. Uh, and at the end of that process, uh, came out on the other side uh, with the assessment team basically saying one of three things. They could say, not recommended to plant, like this just isn't in your gift mix, probably not a good idea for you. Recommended with conditions, like here are some things we need to work on, or fully recommend, 
go for it, green light. And we were recommended with no conditions after that experience. So we came home last April and began to process, okay, this is something that someone, a group of people and, and many people have affirmed in me uh, and in us as a couple. But now do we feel God calling us to do this? Do we feel God inviting us into this? Do we feel God leading in this process, in this way? And so for about the next six months, uh, I really wrestled with what does this mean for me? And though this is something that's been affirmed in me, do I feel God's spirit leading us in this direction? And that's when I went on this trip by myself to Mille Lacs last fall. And I basically said, okay, God, you've got four days. Speak now or forever hold your peace. I will, I will sit and be quiet and I will listen to you, but I need to know, God, I have to know if you are in this. Because if you are, then I will go and I will do it. And if you are not, then I won't. And God spoke that weekend in such compelling and convincing ways to me that the only thing that was holding me back from, from taking this leap of faith was fear. What if I fail? What if, I'm, what if, what if it's not true? What if, what, if, what if I take this step of faith and God doesn't show up? And this, this decision to say yes has been an inciting incident for Laura and I that has forced us to be and to live the kind of faith that we long to have. And we'll get into more of those details so I came back from that. Roger and Art and, and the elders, uh, uh, or Roger and Art at that point were, were in on this, and, uh, and they knew I was, that I was going, and they knew why I was going. And so I came back, and uh, I said, good news, bad news. Good news is I feel like God spoke to me. Bad news is change is coming. Uh, there's, a tran- there's a transition down the way. And so we began the process of what would it look like for Berean to partner and to sponsor and to and what do we do with Solstice and all of these questions uh, started to surface. Great things to discuss when somebody says we want to plant a church. So uh, basically, beginning of this year, um, January, February, March, we really got into some discussions about what would this look like. Um, I told the, shared with the elders and the pastors on a retreat in January that this is something that we felt God was leading us into. So we began to wrestle with the elders and pastors and not wrestle, but dialogue about what would this really look like. They pinned me down and they said, if you leave, we're going to hunt you down, son. No, they didn't. They said, if God is in this, then we're in it too. Uh, and I have, uh, I will say this many times between here and, uh, and when this happens, but the elders and the pastors and the leadership of Berean have been incredible. And this is a church that seeks God and wants God's kingdom and his call on, on this church. And, and so the answer, or the, the question was, is God in this? Is this authentic in, in Micah's life? And if the answer is yes, then how do, we, how do we support, how do we get on board? And so that was kind of the, the process a few months ago. Uh, when, when the elders felt like they could authentically say, we feel like this is something of God, and we see God moving in Micah's life, uh, then we moved to really what does this look like, and uh, what are the implications of it? Uh, one of the questions that continues to come up or, or has come up in the past and in this process was the redemptive potential of solstice. Like, do we believe that solstice has, has reached what, God, what we've dreamt it to be all along? And I think around the table as we sat and we, we were honest with each other, I think we, we would have dreamt for more. We would have dreamt uh, for more at this point. And so... Uh, 
as we came to the table and said, we feel like God is, is calling us to do this and leading us to do this. And the elders and pastors at Berean are shepherding this community and, and the resources uh, of it uh, and, and solstice as a ministry of it. Essentially, the, the, the thought and, and the disposition of the two parties were, were this. Uh, we believe that this is real in Micah's life and we, we want solstice to become everything that we have dreamt it to be. And so what if we planted solstice? What if we uh, sent solstice out with Micah uh, and planted it as its own community as a way to uh, try to leverage and, and um, maximize the redemptive potential that, God, that we dreamt of when we started solstice? And so basically what this means is, is uh, a couple of things. And then I'm going to have Roger come up and just share a little bit uh, from his perspective. Um, solstice will continue to meet uh, through the month of June. So between now and June 27th, we're going to be in this series called Awaken, where we go from here. And by the way, that's the church name, and you're looking at our logo. Uh, so we're going, to be, we're going to be in a series, and we're going to be basically following the, the journey of the Israelites as God led them out of Egypt, and, and God led them as a people. And they had to trust and they had to uh, lean on him. And so we're just going to be pressing into that. And what does it mean for each of us um, through the month of June? And on June 27th, we're going to uh, basically invite everybody that's ever been a part of Solstice, as many people as we possibly can, to celebrate what God has done through this ministry and to, uh, and to ask for commitments for what God is calling us into as we move into another chapter of this, of, of this, uh, this ministry. Um, so I am so, so excited about this. Uh, Next week, we're going to take some time to really um, just have some Q&A uh, and to answer a lot of the questions. And so before, uh, Roger's going to come up and just share a little bit, and then I want to close with a couple of thoughts. So Roger, if you would come and share. Yeah, my name's Roger Thompson, uh, in case you haven't met me. And uh, I'm a little older than Micah. I don't fish as well as he does. I don't play the guitar. He lets me tag along when he plays golf, and uh, but we're brothers, and uh, I'm very proud of Micah that as he began to wrestle with this, he kept me informed and engaged me early in the process, and that's not an easy thing to do. Uh, our meetings are usually held in my chambers as I glare down at him from my high oak desk, and he reports to me. Now, we uh, sit across the table. And we talk about these things. And uh, so when Micah told me he wanted to go plant a church at Malak, I said, go, boy, go. <laughs> Did I miss something in the story? You're no. Right. no, it's closer. It's much closer to here. So uh, we are pregnant. I don't know if you like that or not, but uh, that's good news, bad news, depending on uh, what you like. But this is a tremendous opportunity. You know, if you read the book of Numbers, Numbers 9, it says that the pillar of cloud hung over the camp of the Israelites and if you read that chapter, it's a fascinating chapter because it says, whenever it moved. It doesn't just say, when it moved, like it moved once, but whenever it moved. And it moved some 25 times, I think, even in that chapter it's documented. It kept moving. And many people, when the cloud moved, loved it. They said, this is fantastic. I, can't, I, I didn't like it here anyway. I was getting tired of the scenery 
And other people, when the cloud moved, they dreaded it because they said, I'm, I'm comfortable here. You know, everything works for me here. I know where everything is. I know where the stores are. I've got my routine down. And God moves people. And he was doing that early on with his own children, and he still does it with the church. So we know that you're going to have to ponder this. And as you hear more about it in the coming weeks, we are not making any presumption about your engagement with this. We are inviting you to engage primarily with Micah, but also with myself and the elders if you need to or if you want to, because we, can, we don't want to presume on how this is going to, going to hit your life. A couple of things we do want to say. First of all, we fully support this church plant. Uh, we're going to be partnering with it financially. We'll be partnering with it in spirit. Uh, Micah and I will be staying in touch, and just uh, I'll just be kind of on the, on the fringes of this, as will other uh, friends of Micah here in this church. We are supporting it financially over the first three years. Uh, and I've been around in the pastorate long enough. We've, I've been around starting what we used to call alternative worship services and second congregations and Saturday night congregations and Wednesdays. And seven years ago, uh, a task force was looking at how do we bridge to the next generation and solstice was the result of that. Uh, we've, I've been sent myself, and I have sent many. We've been in part of, part of mission trips and all kinds of things. God is a sending God. God is a moving God, and he has all kinds of things that he wants to do. And one of the things he wants to do is to take a servant like Micah or like you, put you in a new setting where you are absolutely flat on your face dependent on him, and do some things that he couldn't have done otherwise. Now, we don't know all the reasons why this is happening, but we believe that because of the call on Micah and because of the implications that would have on Solstice, that really God was calling us to say, Solstice, would you pray about this? Would you pray about becoming the core group, the launch team, those of you who can, those of you who will, uh, to go and do that? I do want to say, however, this doesn't mean that Berean is giving up on different styles of worship on reaching the next generation. We're going to constantly do that. We simply won't be doing it in this form after June. And so we're searching for what that will be, and I know that it will be uh, creative, and I know we'll put resources behind it. But I'm here to just tell you tonight that I've been involved in this process for almost a year. When Micah went to the assessment center, came back with his report, I kind of went, drat. I was hoping there'd be all kinds of conditions, you know, <laughs> don't go anywhere, stay close to home, you know, play it safe. Uh, but he wasn't ready at that point, as he shared with you, but by fall, uh, it came. And I've gone on those solo retreats, and I've felt the voice of God and heard the voice of God in my own life, and, and I don't question that. We have, we have tested that with Micah, but not by uh, holding him down and pinning him, but just listening and saying, is this really what God wants you to do? Have you thought through the implications of this? It's a lot more comfortable where you are. Would you really think about staying here where you are? And uh, the answer was, yes, I've thought about it. I really believe God has called me to that. And we confirm that call. So I'm just here to tell you tonight that um, we're in league with this. And um, we've been looking for the right way to roll it out to you. We hope this is forthright. We hope it is um, not shocking, but you're all going to have to consider some things and how that's going to affect your life. So uh, we want to be a, a part of that and, and just uh, support what God is doing and follow the cloud because it's moving again. So there you have it.
Roger. Just a couple of things as we uh, kind of wrap things up tonight. Um, I want to ask something from each of you. Uh, if you are guests here tonight, welcome. It's <laughs> 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 just no good way around that, you know. Uh, who knows? You know, maybe you're here for such a time as this. Uh, God has done some pretty crazy things in, in the past and will continue to do crazy things in the future. But uh, over, over the next six weeks... I want to ask this of you as your pastor uh, and, and, and as not a prophetic in the sense of like telling the future, but um, with, with some pastoral authority, I want to ask you, um, my challenge to you is for you as an individual or for you as a family to go before the Lord and ask one simple question. God, are you calling us to move? Are you calling us to go? Are you calling me to go? Are you leading me to go? Are you inviting me to go? However you work that out and however you experience God's movement in your life, I want you to ask that question. And if the answer is no, then don't go. But if the answer is yes, then we are inviting you to take a step of faith with us uh, into whatever is next. And, and we'll talk more about that as it comes. But, but I want you guys to have the freedom and I want you to know that I realize that uh, that... For some, this is really exciting news and awesome, and it's going to be, uh, yeah, I'm in. And for some of you, it's like, I'm not sure, uh, and maybe not. Uh, and that's okay. I don't want anybody to feel guilty. We don't, want, uh, we don't want that to be the case at all. I have been praying from the beginning, and, and I will share time and time again as we walk through this, the ways in which God has showed up, that I've prayed that God's Spirit would be in this that he would be moving out in front of us, that there would be moments and in, in, in events and conversations where I will stop in the midst of my tracks and just say, this is really bizarre. Uh, there's no way you could have known that. Or you actually had that conversation last night with your spouse. Uh, so I've been praying and asking that God's spirit would be leading us in this, and I trust that that will be the case for all of us. Uh, and so that's my, my one request of you over the next couple of weeks. Uh, like I said, next week, uh, we recognize that this is like, shocking news for, for many of you. Uh, and we want to take time uh, to address the questions and uh, the implications of what this means. And we want to do it in a way that's forthright. We want to do it in a way that's authentic and real. And so next week, we're going to just do, uh, we'll have uh, some time of worship to begin. And then we're just going to have some Q&A time. Uh, there's a, a document that's been prepared for you guys as you leave. I'll get to that in a second. But... Um, what I would ask of you this week is to spend time in prayer. And if there are questions that you have, write them down uh, and bring them next week, and we want to address those uh, in full. Uh, and then lastly, as you leave tonight, um, please pick up a packet. We want you to leave with the correct information. Uh, I've found that in leadership, where there is a lack of information, oftentimes it just gets made up. And so uh, I'm not saying you're going to do that, but I want you to think this week and pray with the, with, with the information that you need. So there's a packet of information that shares a little bit of the journey that I've talked about, some of the ways in which we've interacted with Berean and as a church and as a community, and then what the implications are as we move forward. Uh, and there's a response card as well. So uh, on the 27th of June, essentially we're going to be asking those of you uh, who feel God calling us to go um, to respond and to commit to that. Um,
At one point in my career, I, I walked away from a church job and said, if I never work in the church again, I'm okay with that, God. And uh, I remember my, my wife said to me one day, I just don't think you can walk away from it. Um, and it began a, a, a process for me of God uh, helping me fall in love with this thing called the church that he has given to us to redeem the world, to, to, to partner with him in his redemption, uh, which we see in its fullest at the cross in, in Jesus. And so uh, for me, at the end of the day, Paul says, I want to know Christ and I want to participate in his suffering so that I know his resurrection. And for me and for, for my life, I want it so badly to count for something that matters. I believe with everything I have that God changes people's hearts. And so Awaken will be about helping ourselves and other people become alive and their hearts become awakened to the fact that there is a God who loves them and who went to the furthest degree to offer relationship and salvation. And uh, that's the kind of church that I want to be a part of. That's the kind of church that I want to lead. And that's the kind of church that Awaken will become uh, with God's help and, God, and, and, and his spirit guiding us. And so um, thank you guys so much for uh, what you mean to me and to my family. Um, and I, I really look forward to the next couple of weeks as we process and, and think about uh, what does this mean. So I'm going to invite uh, Brett and the band to come, and we're going to sing one last song together. Uh, and I'm just going to ask that uh, we have a little bit of silence in between when I'm done and they, they begin. And I want you just to think and ponder, uh, maybe just for a moment. Uh, often with, with students back in the day, I would encourage them, if you're comfortable in just the quietness of your own heart, take your hands and place them in front of you. And imagine you there in your life and with open hands say, God, here I am. Speak to me, lead me, guide me, shape me, form me. Um, and in this, in this silence, if you would do that, uh, and then we're going to sing this last closing song together. Uh, and then uh, as you leave, make sure you grab a packet. Uh, we'll be around tonight to talk if anybody has further questions or wants to talk about it. Uh, obviously, we'll be here. So. Let's just take a moment in silence and then uh, let's close with this song together.